Hey everybody, this is Robbie Owens from the Average Jake Firefighter blog, and you're now listening to episode number one of the Average Jake Firefighter podcast. I feel like everybody's kind of getting into the podcast game, especially in the fire service. Uh, it's a great medium. It's one of the fastest growing mediums out there. So I figured I'd give my hand at it uh, using a free app called Anchor uh, that report, records podcasts over your phone. Uh, you can get guests to call in. Uh, so we'll see how it goes. Uh, if you guys are actually hearing this, then you'll know I actually published it. Uh, so I thought I'd start off a little bit about myself. Uh, again, my name is Robbie Owens, and I run the Average Jake Firefighter blog. I've been a fire service blogger for uh, probably on almost eight or nine years at this point. Uh, started off as this little grassroots effort and got picked up by the first arriving blog network um, and st- kept blogging. Uh, they definitely upped my production quality, and it's kind of it's an honor to, to be with those guys. Uh, some fire service background. I've been involved in the fire service since I was 15 years old. And it's been a lifelong dream of mine uh, to be a firefighter. I wanted to be a firefighter since I was a little kid. Uh, currently 36, uh, 14 years with my current department, currently a station captain uh, with that department. And it's been a great, great experience. And I've been blogging and, you know, I figured that podcasting may be a better medium for me. I'm going to still blog. I'm going to still do all these things. But podcasting may be a better medium for me because I'm usually a better speaker than a writer. Uh so we'll see how this goes. Again, if you're listening to it, then you know I, I actually published it. And if it's successful, I hope to maybe add some guests in the future, uh, maybe do some Jocko Willink-style podcasts where I do some book reviews, or just do some random talking, kind of like I'm doing right now. Uh, I hope to keep these no more than about uh, 30 minutes to an hour, because uh, my vision is for people to, you know, uh, do, you listen to these while they're working out, listen to them on the treadmill, things of that nature. So uh, what I really wanted this episode to be was a review of the 2008, uh, 2018 rather FDIC International Conference. Talk about what I did at the conference, what I experienced, and just some other great things and why I think you should go. So let's get to it. So as I said, this is going to be a quick review of the uh, FDIC 2018 International Conference uh, was a great, 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 great conference, first off. Uh, I've been going to FDIC since 2001, and every year has been pretty phenomenal. Um, first off, started out the conference, I did not get the opportunity to attend any hot training. Uh, if I have in the past, and I recommend it. It's some of the greatest uh, hands-on training in the country. If you've never been to an FDIC hot class, you need to go. Okay, you need to go. There's all there is to it. Uh, the conference usually started for me uh, Wednesday morning at the general session where I got to listen to probably one of the absolute greatest speakers in the entire country, not just the fire service, but probably the entire country in Bobby Halton, who is, as you know, of course, if you're listening to this podcast, you, you're pretty plugged into the fire service as I am. He's the editor-in-chief of Fire Engineering Magazine and the education coordinator for FDIC uh, International. So he gave a great, great, great speech about not confusing contract with covenant and what the fire service's true goals, nature, purposes are. It was pretty phenomenal stuff. I, uh, I, I can't even describe how moving it is and how motivating it is. I've always said that Bobby Halton could start a riot if he really wanted to. Um, so 
it's something that I think is, uh, is pretty phenomenal, to be quite honest with you, if you've never had the opportunity to go. And some people go to FDIC and never go to the general sessions, and I think that's crazy. It is a moving and motivational uh, opportunity. It's a moving and motivation opportunity. It's just great. Uh, again, I'm at a loss for words for it because you can't describe it. People who know about it, uh, there's just no explanation, and you know, if people who know about it, they go and they experience it, and it's just great. So if you go to FDIC, no matter what you do, get your butt up, even if you're hungover, go listen to Bobby Halton talk, okay? Uh, and then uh, my, the conference started off with me going to some classroom sessions. That's usually why I go. I, I like socializing. I go out to the bars at night and do some social networking uh, outside of the conference. But the, the conference allows me to get about a year's worth of training in a week, which is good since I'm a dad. I, have, uh, I run a youth wrestling program. Uh, both my kids are very active in sports. It allows me to get all that training in a year. So if I don't get to do anything else the rest of the year at least I went to FDIC and got to listen to some, to some amazing amazing instructors so uh, first off my first class for FDIC uh, was the Wednesday morning block 10:30 to 12:15, and that was overcoming common engine company mistakes uh, and fireground problems with Jason Rivera from New Haven Connecticut so in Jason Rivera's class he talked a lot about of course common engine company mistakes and problems he started out with defining what a mistake is and what a problem is. He said that a mistake was a human error and a problem was an unanticipated challenge that we needed to overcome. If that's not the fire service in a nutshell, I don't know what is. We're constantly trying to overcome problems or fix mistakes, either ours or the citizens or the, or the public that we serve. So, uh, I don't, again, I'm not trying to give away anybody's classes, so I'm not going to give all the notes away that I took. But just some simple things real quick, some of the mistakes he talked about that I think are very important. Uh, failure to properly size up a building and paint an accurate picture. I think we deal with that every day. Uh, fully involved being overused. How many times have you pulled up to the to a scene or you heard a radio report that something was fully involved and then you show up and it's just a room off or a car is fully involved and it's just a brake fire? It happens all the time. And then uh, big one, not being familiar with your company's hose loads. That is a big one. Uh, Man, how can you not be familiar with the hose loads that's riding on your engine company? I think that's if that's not if, if that's the case, uh, you're not training enough or you're not going to enough fires. One of those things you can't control. The other one you totally are in control of. Moving on to his fire ground problems, uh, couplings caught on obstructions, and this is a big one for me. It's something that I preach whenever I teach engine company operations and hose line management, uh, especially with my situation riding with a three-person engine company driver, officer, and firefighter. I like that first 50-foot coupling to be right next to the nozzle at the door. So that way, when I'm done with my 360, I can come grab it and have my hand on it. So that way, one, I know how much hose I'm pulling into the building. I know with that first pull of that coupling, I'm getting 50 to 75 feet of hose into the building. And if that coupling's in my hand, it can't be snagged on anything. So that's pretty important. Uh, you know, that's pretty important for me. He, he kind of ended up his class with just saying train every day, stop and think, hone your craft, and treat the job as if your life depends on it because it does. I think that's advice that we could all take. So kudos to Jason Rivera. He, was, he had a great, great class, and I know that uh, where he's at in Connecticut is a phenomenal, phenomenal fire department. Uh, moving on to the second class I took Wednesday, uh, another guy from uh, another engine company class, the Engine Company's Guide to Winning, Stretching for Success. This was actually a part two 
uh, part one class that I did not attend was uh, Water Winds. Uh, but this was from Lieutenant Steve, Lieutenant rather, Steve Robertson from Columbus, Ohio. So uh, we'll get into that class. So the Engine Company's Guide to Winning, Stretching for Success, uh, he talked a lot about positioning for the first line. Uh, basically, his whole thing, the fire goes as the first line goes. I think we've all heard about that. But he added on to it, and the first line goes as the position of the engine company goes. And he talked a lot about some things. Some things I knew, uh, you know, tilting the, uh, if you're coming off the rear, tilting the tailboard to the to the fire. If you're coming off the bumper or the middle, tilting the, uh, the nose of the uh, cab to, uh, toward the fire building uh, to get a better angle. One of the things he talked that I thought was really, really interesting, he talked about splitting the door. It was something I'd never heard of, and I thought it was great. He talks about the attack line determining what is inside or outside of the door, uh, as in think of the door and kind of split it right down the middle. The inside of the door is closest to the rig. The first due line should stretch that line to the inside of the door, and the second line should be stretched to the outside of the door. Again, thinking of the door in the middle with a dotted line going down the center of it. So if you do that, what he said was it'll leave room for that backup line or second line to not trample over the first line and make advancing into the fire when it's charged uh, more difficult. I had never heard that before, but it makes complete sense. We practiced it the other day on the drill ground when I got back home. Phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal tip. Uh, you know, just great, great, great stuff. Um, essentially, it was all about stretching those hose lines, being good at it, uh, you know, and, and just way better things to do than uh, than what we're doing. And I really, really, really enjoyed his class. I thought his class was great. He was definitely uh, a passionate, motivated instructor. He's somebody that when you sit in his class, he's engaging, he's motivating. It was really, really great experience. Um, I focused a lot on engine company stuff this year, and that was probably one of the better classes I've ever taken, and not just at this FDIC, but uh, engine company lectures, period. So kudos to him as well. And I know Columbus, Ohio sees a lot of fire, so the experience level, the training that he has, uh, phenomenal. One other thing he did add to, he has a, uh, I, I, can't, I can't remember what he exactly, but he has a rule, essentially, if they haven't had a fire, in a, oh, it's, he has a two-week rule. If they haven't had a fire in two weeks, they stretch, they stretch all the hose lines off their rig. I think that is phenomenal. Uh, I try to preach, uh, we work 21 day cycles. Uh, and if we haven't had a, if you haven't pulled hose at least once a cycle, you're messing up. You need to do that. So phenomenal again, phenomenal class. The next class I took was kind of a, uh, it was again in the Wednesday block. Uh, last class that I took uh, on Wednesday, kind of a controversial class. Uh, it was a UL class from Robbins of Otec talking about what about the victim. And there's been a ton, a ton, a ton of, I don't know to call it backlash or just differences of opinion about what's happening to the victim with transitional attack, with steam production from either interior or exterior. There's a lot of just backlash, rhetoric, disagreements, uh, misinformation that's out there. So I wanted to go hear it from the horse's mouth. Um, not a lot of great information, uh, nothing more than what was in the studies. Uh, one of the things he did bring up is uh, they were talking about what are we talking about with steam. Uh, they measured water vapor, not necessarily steam. In these experiments, they found out that water vapor is part of combustion, and the addition of a hose stream didn't dramatically increase the water vapor in a structure. So 
are we really steaming these people? Are we not? Um, you know, victim skin damage in a fire could be the victim actually being scalded by hot water. Now, this is something that he talked about that they've started to do and they're going to try to recreate. They put a heat sensor in there. They covered it with like insulation and they so to only be able to measure the water temperature once it was saturated. And what they found out was some of these big drops of water are getting shot into the uh, heat layer, or this is how I understood what he was saying, getting shot into the heat layer, not getting fully absorbed by the heat, but getting heated enough that when they fall down to the ground, there is such a hot temperature, they may scald the victim. The uh, heat sensor was uh, well above what, what boiling water when it got saturated. So again, it's preliminary stuff, but I think that's something we need to consider. We talk about these, these little drops of water versus big drops of water versus steam creation versus all these things. Maybe we're scalding these victims. Uh, something that, you know, again, it needs more work, needs more study, but that was probably the biggest thing that I saw uh, or heard rather in that class that made me think, uh, that made me think a lot. It was really, really, really good class. Uh, again, it was, it was basically a rehash of the experiments they've already done, but it's always good to hear something from the horse's mouth if you have a question uh, you can ask about it. So uh, that was a great class, awesome class, actually. Um, again, nothing earth-shattering, you know, but always good to be able to hear things from the, her from the horse's mouth if you have a question. You can ask right to them. I was a little disappointed in some of the people who have been naysaying these UL studies and talking about these stuff on Twitter, on Facebook, on the Internet, all of these things. I was a little bit disappointed in them about uh, not, being, not being in the class. I didn't see a whole lot of guys. I did see Dennis Laguerre in there, but I didn't see a lot of these guys that have been naysaying this stuff. So, you know, if you're going to naysay this stuff, at least have the guts to come in there and talk to the guy face to face. You might be surprised. Uh, then moving on, uh, moving on to uh, Thursday. So, you know, Thursday, second day of the classroom sessions of the conference. Really cool. Uh, try to step outside the comfort zone. A lot of people who do FDIC, they only come there and listen to the big names or they only come in there and listen to people who agree with their opinion already, to which I don't feel like there's a lot of benefit in that. Um, yeah, sure. You know, there are some of the big name guys like the Bill Gustins, the Dave McGrails, the Dave Dodsons, the Ray McCormacks. That they're going to give you sound, solid classes, great information, uh, it's just that I've heard all that stuff. If you're plugged into the fire service, you've read their stuff. You, you've heard their stuff. There's no reason to just, to just listen to the guys that you've heard over and over and over again, especially when you're spending the amount of money it takes to go to the conference and to come out there. So Thursday morning, I went to a class called Rethinking Rural Water Supplies uh, by a guy named John Burnham from Shelbourne, Massachusetts Fire Department. And he talked a lot about things. Again, it was just a, it was a different take on some rural water supply. And one of his big messages was that a lot of times people focus more on shuttling water in rural water supply operations than actually putting the fire out. They're so concerned with uh, making sure you have water in this dump tank, dropping dump tanks, moving water back and forth, that they don't put water on the fire or they don't establish a fire flow great enough and sustainable enough to put the fire out. So that was really, really, really cool to hear somebody talking about that because I know in my rural water supply training, it was all about the shuttle and less about the flow. Don't run out of water, don't run out of water, don't run out of water. Well, if you've got a 3,000 gallon tanker and a 500 or 750 tank 
you can do a lot of damage even to a fully involved house in a rural water uh, supply operation. And that's a lot of what he talked about. Some of the biggest things that I got out of his class, though, was training stuff. Focus, uh, it, it, realistic training. Focus on delivering the fire flows for your area. Uh, if you can flow high rates, then the lower rates won't be a problem. Match the training to the buildings in your district. I mean, come on, that's, that's just a no-brainer or should be a no-brainer. And get out of the parking lot. If you are a fire department that is operating on hilly terrain or, you know, in valleys, then go train in those hilly valleys. Okay, if you're going to have to set up dump tanks on the side of a hill, have a way to do that. Um, again, pretty good class. Uh, you know, some definitely different things about how to do this a little bit better. And then Thursday kind of uh, moved on to Thursday and another great class by uh, I believe another Ohio guy. I think I wrote who is. I think I wrote his. Uh, uh, actually, no, not Ohio. Guy. I think he was from uh, originally from Ohio, but it was a uh, Grant Schwalbe. I think I totally butchered that name, but he was from Fort Myers, Florida, and his class was establishing an aggressive search culture. Wow, uh, what a concept and what a debate that people have been having over and over again in the fire service. But his class was really, really good. Talked about the expect expectations the public has on us and talked about the expectations that we should have for ourselves when we're uh, doing searches on occupancies. Um, really good stuff. I, I really kind of like how he, how he did this. He talked about why we suck at search, and I think that's pretty phenomenal. Uh, you know, not a lot of people think that, you know, not a lot of people have the guts to admit why they suck. He actually talked about an incident in his fire department. And I don't want to go into the details uh, because it's his story. It's not my story. But I did have a similar story that I was able to relate to him with. Um, so I know it's a, so I know it's true. Uh, but just talking about like some of the downfalls, like, you know, we don't have a lot of uh, true firefighters or firemen uh, anymore. We have a lot of people who love our job because of the schedule, and it re is reflected in their fire ground performance and their station performance. Uh, so I was able to really, really, really relate with that. Uh, but again, talking about why we suck, uh, complacency. We don't train in real houses, and I agree with that. It's just so hard to get acquired structures these days. And when you do get them, they've been asbestos abated. They've had all the furniture taken out. So even if you're training in a real house, you usually don't get a true house layout. In our burn buildings, we try to do our very best. It's probably the only uh, training some people get, and that's good. No, some training's better than no training, but you have to, uh, you've got to try to train as realistic as possible. And it does make it hard to establish a good search culture when all you're used to doing is crawling around the concrete burn building with no furniture or anything like that. You're not going to establish great search habits. Um, talked about having weak SOPs. That's pretty good. Uh, you know, not a lot of places uh, have good SOPs that lend themselves to search. One of the biggest things he talked about that I really, really agreed with, he talked about VES and why he doesn't like to use the I and I and VEIS or talking about isolate. Uh, his is the first argument I actually agree with of why we don't need the I in that acronym. For me personally, I had no problem with adding the I to it. It was one of the steps in the process. We do vent, enter, isolate, and search. That's, I mean, anytime anyone's ever taught anything about VES or VEIS, they've always taught you, vent the window, let it breathe for a second, jump in there, immediately go to the door, isolate that room, and then search it. Uh, so, you know, to me, it was just always part of the step. People wanted to add it in there. I didn't have any problem with it. However, he brings up 
that if you talk about isolate the room, it encourages people to not look out in that hallway or to only focus on that room that they're in. That's a great argument because that does say, don't open that door, close it, never open it again. When in reality, uh, a lot of people are found in hallways. A lot of people are found in thoroughfares. If the hallway conditions are tenable, you can launch your search from that location after you search that bedroom. Uh, or you can maybe just take a look. If I'm an IC or an engine officer, I'm going to be interested in the conditions you're experiencing in that hallway. So I want you to take a peek, maybe even go out into the hallway for a second if the conditions are right. Uh, if they're not right, I want to know about that too. I want you to get and look out in that hallway, look out there, man, it's getting ready to roll over, close that door. And once you're outside, can tell me that or radio that to me while you're searching. Hey, the conditions are flash over in the hallway. You're going to need to flow more water. We're going to need a second line. Uh, we're not going to be able to search the second floor till the line stretched. All of those things are critical, critical functions for a engine company officer, a command officer, the next truck coming in. So that is the first argument I've heard, or good argument I've heard, of why we shouldn't put I in that VES acronym. So kudos to him as well. I uh, really, really, really liked it. Um, talked a lot about search techniques, and uh, he really, and, I, and I'm started to uh, read this website even more, but the firefighterrescuesurvey.com is vital to really being able to improve the search culture of the fire department. Uh, right now, I believe there's only 600 or so entries into that website. Don't quote me on that, but they've been able to gather some pretty cool data uh, based on victim locations, stuff like that. Um, so, But as with anything, data in, data out, uh, if we're not getting quality data, we're not getting any updates, we're not getting anything else, you've got to be able to uh, if we're not getting anything out of it or if we're getting bad data in, the data coming out is not going to be accurate. So if you are involved in a grab, do the survey. Go to firefighterrescuesurvey.com. It's exactly like that, www.firefighterrescuesurvey.com. So the Establishing Aggressive Search Culture class on uh, Thursday was the uh, last class I took on Thursday. Uh, my wife... Uh, Karen had actually taught her pediatric sports injuries class for EMS providers uh, at that same time frame. So I wanted to go talk to her and see how her class went. And her class went very well. I'm so proud of Karen. Uh, you know, everything that she does. I mean, I, I'm humbled every day to be her husband, humbled every day to just be a part of her life because she is an amazing, amazing person. She is one, she's married to a firefighter, so she has to deal with that. She's an emergency manager for the state of Virginia Office of EMS. She is a mom to two athletic boys who are keeping us on the run all the time. She is an author, uh, not a lot of people know this, but she wrote a book for Fire Engineering Penwell Publications called uh, ICS for EMS. Uh, you can get it at any, uh, you can get it on Amazon, you can get it on Fire Engineering Books, all that stuff. She did a couple book signings there while, while she was at the conference. She writes for the magazine and the EMS articles. She teaches EMT part-time. She's a part-time travel agent, so if you need any travel, look, uh, look her up, uh, Karen at Destinations to Explore. She's also a doctoral candidate through Columbia Southern University, so she's taking classes to get her doctorate. She also is the director of the youth wrestling team that I'm the head coach of. So 
all of those things, and she still has time to put together quality, quality education for people going to this conference. Uh, you know, kudos to her. So the class went for her, went very well. She, in my opinion, you know, she had about 20, 25 at a fire conference for an EMS topic. That's rock star numbers. Uh, you don't just, you tend not to get that. So if you're drawing that, then you're doing something right. Um, so then after that, uh, just kind of enjoyed the night, went back to the hotel. And uh, the next day, Friday, last day we were going to be at the conference for the full day. We flew back out Saturday morning or Saturday mid-morning. Uh, so I spent the morning time looking around the uh, stuff at Lucas Oil Stadium. Big shout out to the guys at 555 Fitness. Uh, they put on an amazing booth. They couldn't do the firefighter throwdown this year, so they made sure that fitness was a part of the, uh, the conference. And I, and I thought that was phenomenal. Uh, they were doing demonstrations, workouts, uh, giving free samples of some of their uh, of some of their uh, fitness stuff, uh, like their pre-workout, their recovery drinks, all of that stuff. So it was really, really, really good. Uh, went by the Dingus Fire Booth and uh, saw my good buddy Ryan Pennington. Everybody knows Ryan from uh, Jump Seat Views. Does a lot of the hoarding classes. Uh, and, you know, just all around, just involved in just about everything with the fire service. And he was, he blessed me with giving me a pair of the Vanguard Safety uh, Company MK1 fire gloves. Now, let me tell you, I've worn a lot of fire gloves in my day. And I'm not just saying this because Ryan is my friend. I'm not just saying this because I, uh, you know, that we're buddies and that we text each other and anything. I'm telling you. Those gloves are the most comfortable gloves I've ever worn and have the most dexterity of any glove I've ever worn. I, I couldn't believe it. You know, and you hear people say this stuff all the time uh, about, you know, oh, these gloves are great. And I've seen all the Twitter stuff about them uh, that Ryan puts out. And I can tell you, I tried them on at the thing uh, at, on, on the show floor and really like immediately was like, I can make, I can bend my fingers where usually you kind of like do crab hands with fire gloves. A lot of the different brands, these, I could actually like really ball my hands up into a tight fist, which was amazing dexterity. Just the other day, uh, like literally Monday went training with them, flowed water, uh, on an engine company on hand lines in and out of a burn building for four straight hours never lost any grip. They got soaking wet and they dried out phenomenally. Like some gloves, like when they get wet, they're hard to get your hands back in. No problem. Once they dried, sometimes they get stiff. Not at all with these gloves. Uh, man, they're just really, really, really good gloves. And I thank Ryan every day, uh, for one, being my friend and two, for thinking of me to uh, give some fire gloves too. Uh, really, really cool. So thanks, Ryan. Uh, went around the rest of the show floor. You know, looked at some fire trucks, looked at some companies, really uh, liked Pierce's new Ascent ladder truck. That was really neat. Did not get a chance to go outside and do any of the max firebox burns this year. I wanted to, just kind of ran out of time. But if you have not heard of the max firebox that Sean is doing over at max firebox training or any of the stuff Andy Starnes is doing with them guys with kill the flash over insight training uh, and all the fire behavior stuff they're doing you need to get out from underneath a rock and you need to go look at kill the flash over insight training max firebox those guys are phenomenal you will learn so much you can learn they were doing hour long you know every burn on the hour and I did it last year. did two of them last year. They hand you thermal imaging cameras. Sean gets out there and Andy get out there, talk about fire behavior, talk about tick imaging. So you're getting a class out there at FDIC 
you know, on the show floor, which, and that's so phenomenal. That gives you so much more value for your, if you're only able to come to the exhibits, it gives you so much more value to your conference because you can go and listen to a fire behavior lecture and then come see it live outside uh, in the exhibit hall. So it's just so much uh, value and just such great, great stuff they're doing. Uh, I do have a periscope. Uh, it's the average Jake periscope uh, that I recorded the burns from the 2017 FDIC. Go on the Periscope, look me up at Average Jake, and uh, look at those videos. You'll see exactly what I'm talking about. They're doing great, 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 great things. Uh, then uh, at the, I believe it was the 12, it might have been 1030. I think it was. It was 1030 to 1215. I got to go see my good friend, Lieutenant Ben Martin, from my fire department here uh, at home in Virginia. And he was talking about his class, uh, Intoxicated Leadership. Uh, ben is a great friend of mine. He was at one time my boss. Uh, he got promoted to lieutenant before I did, and I worked for him for a while. And then I got promoted uh, to lieutenant about a year after he came there. And then I've since been promoted to captain, and he's still the lieutenant in our training division, doing, in my opinion, the most important job in our fire department right now, training new recruits. Uh, but Ben talks about intoxicated leadership, and it is great. I'm not trying to steal any of Ben's thunder. I cannot orate as good as him. Uh, he is a phenomenal speaker. He's charismatic, but he's but he's talking about a topic that people just don't seem to get these days. We have a lot of leaders out there thinking in ones and zeros when really we need to be thinking in ones, twos, threes, four, fives, and sixes because the people we're getting in the fire service today are changing. They're not bad people. They're great people, but they need different things than the firefighters of the past. They are emotional people. They're in touch with their emotions, and we have to lead through that, and we have to lead with them, and we have to acknowledge their emotions, whether we agree with them or not. I tend to be more on the old-school side of firefighting. I was brought up by a firefighter. I was trained by old-school firefighters. I came into our fire department when the old-school guys were still in charge When the old school guys were still in charge and just doing their thing, and it was definitely they, they, they were it was kind of a, a, a just a fire department. They were like you, you just left your emotions at the door, and I was okay with that. And I still kind of lean toward that more, but these people we're bringing in these days, they're just not like that. And Ben talks about how to not get intoxicated by your emotions and how to still maintain. Uh, good leadership through an emotional fire service, uh, but become more people smart. If you don't acknowledge these people's emotions, then they're ne you're never going to win. You're never going to win as a leader. Uh, ben talks about that he was ready, but he wasn't prepared and the difference between that. It's just a phenomenal class. He has different versions of it, depending on the amount of time that he has. Uh, I got to listen to the hour and 45-minute version. There's people that have listened to the eight-hour version. There's people that have listened to the three-hour version. I've heard nothing but good stuff. The class I listened to was phenomenal. Uh, look up Ben Martin at EmbraceTheResistance.com. Uh, and he also has a Facebook page, again, Embrace the Resistance. He talks a lot about emotional leadership and just leadership in the fire service in general, how it's changing and how we need to evolve as leaders. It is great stuff. It is phenomenal stuff. Um, so, you know, look him up. Ben Martin, I'm glad to say that he's my friend. And... Uh, that it was just that was kind of the end of my FDIC classroom stuff. After that, went around the rest of the show floor at the, at, uh, the Indianapolis Convention Center, walked around, looked at some products, looked at some things that I'm interested in. I uh, don't need to necessarily bore you with that. I, I think that the conference was another home run for me. Uh, you know, I can't imagine not 
having the opportunity to go to FDIC every year. Uh, I'm sure there's years I've missed years, uh, and I'm sure there's years I'm going to miss again in the future, but I will always want to be in Indianapolis when FDIC is going on. It is just, I've had the opportunity, for those that don't know, I've had the opportunity to teach at FDIC classroom sessions four times, uh, even had a pre-conference workshop uh, focusing on firefighter safety and health and cardiac arrest. Um, I've, you know, just been tremendously humbled and honored to be even a small part of that conference. And just to go and to interact with people is just a great, 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 great opportunity. I I can't put it into words. Again, it's kind of like if you've been, there's, you know, no, if you haven't been, then nothing I ever tell you will work uh, or convince you to go or, you know, just convince you that it's the best thing ever. But if you have been, then no explanations necessary. Uh, you know what it is, you know, and you know, you want to keep going back. That is the dangerous part of FDIC because if you go once, you're going to want to go again. Um, now, you know, it's not all good. Is there things FDIC could do better? Yeah. Uh, I think this year that the, at least this year for me, it felt like the convention center, um, you know, just was, gosh, it's just getting so small for the people that we, and this is the first year I really felt crowded at FDIC. Like just, I know it's always been big and maybe I just first year I've ever noticed it. I just, it was so crowded. Like even in just the transition hallways, you just couldn't get anywhere. Um, so I feel like maybe the convention center is getting too small for the conference. I don't know. Uh, it just was one of those things, man, that just, I, I just could not wrap my head around where all these people were coming from. Uh, and I know that it's probably always been like that and people are going to listen to this and be like, man, it's always crowded. Just, you know, don't worry about it. But man, it just seemed like it was really, really, really crowded this year. Uh, you know, the classroom sessions are great, but those chairs are absolutely awful. They're uncomfortable. They're hard to pay attention to. And in reality, it's hard to take notes for some of these classes uh, because there's no table to lean on. And I know by adding tables, it'd be less chairs. But I think by putting tables even in the classroom sessions and maybe limiting the people that can come into the classrooms would make for a better learning experience. Sure, these guys might not get 80, 90, 100 guys coming to their class, but the people that are in their class will be able to pay attention better, will be able to listen longer, and be able to take better notes to take it back to the people in their department. And that's really what this is supposed to be. It's supposed to be about paying it forward. So I come to FDIC, and I know that a lot of people in my department can't go or for whatever reason. So I take those notes home very seriously. Uh, All the notes that I saw, I took 11 pages worth of notes and sent them to guys in my fire department who couldn't make the trip to Indy who were interested in the classes that I was going to see. So I just think that we need to make that classroom experience just a little bit better. They do it for the pre-conference classes, and I know that's because they can predict how many people are coming because people have to sign up beforehand. I just think that something like that would make the classroom sessions that much more enjoyable, better, and able to learn. Uh, With that being said, also open the exhibit halls more. I mean, let's be honest, people. If people are going to take a class, they're going to take a class. And if they want to go to the exhibits, they go to the exhibits. Just just open them up. Just open them up. There's no reason, you know, because I like to see both. I like to see some of the innovative stuff. But now you've put me in a position where I have to choose between taking a class and going to the exhibits. And in reality, uh, 
you know, in reality, why don't you just open them up? Why do, why do they close at 5? That would be great because I want to go there and take classes, but the classes go till 5, the exhibit hall closes at 5. Well, leave it open till 8. In fact, I think one of the things that you could do, you could take a page out of some of these other conferences. I know that they do it uh, at the Virginia Fire Rescue Conference. Uh, they do a vendor night on the exhibit hall floor. They have heavy hors d'oeuvres and adult beverages, but also non-adult beverages. And it allows the vendors to relax a little bit, talk to some of the attendees in a less... Uh, make the sale environment, for lack of a better term, and it gets people to come to the floor. You're feeding them a little bit. You're going to let them drink a little bit. That might even loosen them up, make them make, loosen that wallet up a little bit more, and it would just give more value to that exhibit hall experience. Right now, uh, I usually have one day, maybe not even a whole day. I had three or four hours to walk through the exhibits, and to be that's why I didn't get to see the Max Firebox, and that's why I didn't get to... Uh, do some of the other demonstrations because I walked through the uh, the exhibit hall, and I just think that it's just it's it's selling it short. Um, you know, yeah, I could stay till Saturday, but you know, again, it's just something I not choose to do. I leave on Saturday. I need to go home and get back to my fire department and get back to my family and get back to the other stuff of being an adult. Um, so again, it's just a suggestion. I think that you would see more people come if you did the exhibit hall for more days and more, or at least more hours. Like on that Wednesday, don't close it at five. Uh, still close it on Saturday at like two o'clock. That's fine, you know. But on Wednesday, leave it open from from eight in the morning until uh, eight at night or something like that. Have an event, make it a party. I think you'll see more people come. Uh, you know, let let it. You know, maybe even start the pool, the fools party at six or seven instead of that. That way, people go to the exhibit hall. They have a little bit of uh, heavy hors d'oeuvres and maybe a couple beers, and then they go over to the fools party and enjoy the rest of their evening. Uh, you know, I just think that would be a little bit better. Uh, but overall, again, there's no experience like FDIC. I love it every year. I want to go every year. I know there's going to be years I miss, but I'm always going to want to be in Indianapolis. I said that before. I'm always going to want to be in Indianapolis, Indiana during FDIC. Uh, so that's about it uh, for this episode. Um, what? Where can you contact me? What can you do? Uh, so I am on Twitter at AverageJakeFF. Again, you can always uh, look at the blog, AverageJakeFirefighter.com. That's www.AverageJakeFirefighter.com. I do have an Instagram. Again, it's, as you guessed, Average Jake. Uh, not a lot of firefighting stuff on there, however. Uh, just a lot of pictures of my kids uh, winning sports trophies and just random stuff that I like. But if you want to follow me on that social media platform, feel free to do so as well. I'm also on LinkedIn at Robert Owens, uh, so you can connect with me on there in a more professional fashion. And uh, hopefully I'm going to continue to do these podcasts. If you like it, make sure that you either log on log on to your favorite podcasting recording. I believe this is going to be obviously pu- pu- published on Anchor, but it should publish to iTunes, Google Play, uh, any Stitcher Radio, any of these uh, podcast apps that you like to listen to. Make sure you tell me you like it. Send me a message uh, on Twitter. Send me a message on uh, LinkedIn. Tell me you like the podcast. Send me a message on the website. Um, and that's about it. So uh, if you liked it, thanks. Thanks for listening. And hopefully there'll be more episodes coming to you. Uh, stay safe out there. I'm out.